Imagine a world where men stepped up and answered God's call to reach their full potential. Imagine a world where men put their faith and trust in God unwaveringly and without qualification. Imagine a world where men lived out God's purpose for them in everything they do. It's Not My Credit to Take explores the awe and wonder of how God shows up in the lives of strong, principled Christian men from all walks of life. Get ready to laugh, to cry, and to be transformed. I'm your host, Dr. Ed Slover, faithful husband, loving father, loyal friend, and unapologetically Christian. Welcome to the It's Not My Credit to Take podcast. Greg Porter, how are you, sir? Dr. Slover, how are you living, brother? I'm, I'm doing very well. It occurs to me that it's been the better part of 15 or 20 years, probably closer to 20 years since we laid eyes on one another. Been a while. Of Facebook. Yeah, that's, that's accurate. It's been a while. It's been, a uh, been some time, a lot of, uh, a lot of, a lot of times passed, but you know, talking to you doesn't seem like there's much time that has. It's one of those relationships where you just pick right up where you left off. And yeah, I agree. Yeah. I feel the same way with, uh, with our mutual friend, Steve McKitty, who's actually going to be a guest uh, on, on the podcast here as well. So the audience will get to know some of my past friends right. just really live some amazing lives for, for my listeners. My guest today is Greg Porter. I first met Greg at Miami university in Ohio in Ohio, where we both played tennis for one of Miami satellite campuses. And I have mm -hmm. a funny, awkward admission on that topic here in just a second. Okay. After graduating college with a bachelor of science in nursing, Greg has worked in home care as a registered nurse and has been doing that for the past 20 years. And in 2019, he was awarded nurse of the year by the Ohio Nurses Association. Greg was saved in May of 1996 and subsequently baptized in September of that year. And for the last 24 years, he's been married to his lovely wife, Heather, and they have two daughters, Madison and Paige. Greg, that's a, that, that's a lot of uh, accomplishments in a lot of minutes over the last 20 years. Congratulations on Teacher Thank of the you. Year, or sorry, Thank Nurse you. of the Year. Nurse of the Year, yes. Yeah, I'm, I still claim that I'm the um, still the undisputed Nurse of the Year because they've changed owners of the company and they've not named another one, so I'm still reigning undisputed <laughs> Nurse of the Year. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to keep that title until they give it to somebody else. That, no, fair, that's fair enough. Fair yes. enough. I, I, I mentioned in the opening that I have an admission. Okay. Well, the first time we met one another, it was our first practice tennis practice i recall and yes. i remember meeting you well no we met actually before that you're probably not going to remember this because i was thinking about this okay you were friends with david jose you remember david i do remember Dave. yes yeah. so you were in the commons on stage doing something and you came off and came over to talk to jose and i briefly met you at that point there and that was my first year at miami then that following spring we met each other for solid on the tennis court yeah, I, I have to admit something else that yeah. you didn't leave a lasting impression when we met in the comments. Thank you. So. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Hey, that's, hey, listen, at least it wasn't something bad. You remembered something terrible about me, like, oh, that guy there, stay away from him. <laughs> right. Do you know what I was yeah. doing on stage? Uh, they, they, I, I, if I can remember, I thought it was the hypnotism thing, but I may be exactly wrong. Right. That's yeah. exactly right. I faked yes. the whole thing. Oh, so did I. Yeah, every time I got up there, you faked the whole thing. He's just going to pick the guys that overact the most. That's right. You know what I mean? That's all, that's all I did was overact. Yeah. 
<laughs> it's a theme of our lives. Yes. You should, you, you should ask my students. They'll be like, yep, that's what he does in the classroom. Yes. I figure I figure it's better than drawing stick figures on the on the whiteboard. Oh, absolutely. More entertaining. So my admission when yes, okay, I, sorry. I, I remember officially meeting you is I didn't like you very much. Yeah, I, I, that, listen, that's, I'm telling you right now, it is something I've dealt with my whole life. I don't know what it is about my personality. I, it's one of two things when you meet me, you really, really like me and we're going to get along great. Or you just something about me rubs you wrong. And it's true. I don't know why it's been that way, but it's been like that way with a lot of people. I'm either got really, really close friends or I've got people that, eh, oh, do I have to play doubles with him? You know what I mean? It's just that way. I know there's never any lukewarm. It's never, never, I've never had lukewarm friends. It's all one way or all the other. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Well, we, we developed a relationship over the next couple of years and there was, a, there was a spring break trip in there. There was. And yeah, that was a lot of fun. Some tattoos on that spring break trip. My first yeah. of 12. 12. I don't have that many. I have four, five, five. Yeah. They're, they're absolutely addictive. I, I, yes. I tease that either you, you're, you're a person that doesn't have any, you have right. one or you have three or more. And the only reason you're at two is either you can't afford the third one yet or you don't know exactly right. what you're getting. Yeah. Mine, I've, 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 I started like, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Now they're all kind of centralized here and they're all faith-based. So I've kind of integrated all faith-based in this upper arm here. Got it. Yeah. So, right. Well, well, speaking I feel of like if I get to the pearly gates and, and and my justification for getting in is like, listen, listen, I know I shouldn't have, you know, mutilated my body, but look, it's all faith based. That's right. <laughs> I don't I, I don't know if 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 Jesus much cares. No, about no, no, no. I'm not like me, not, no. me wearing not, shorts on a Wednesday yes. evening. Yes. No, I'm not saying that. I'm just being yeah. silly. Yeah, so you got saved in 1996, which interestingly is during when uh, during the time where we were playing tennis together. Right. How come I never knew about that? Uh, is I think we discussed it a little bit, um, a few times riding together. I I would talk about God a little bit, and and like you were saying in your first episode, how you kind of strayed away, and I think you kind of just not really, you just kind of brushed it off a little bit. So I'm like, okay, I'm not going to, you know, force that on him. Cause I didn't know you. I mean, I'd only known you for a short time. You know what I mean? It wasn't like I knew you as well as I, as I do now over these years of, you know, of meeting you and having a relationship with you and keeping in touch with you on online. So just something. And then plus being a new young Christian, I mean, I'm scared to death. I mean, on, on how to approach people and what to say. And I don't know enough to, you know what I mean? From because you, I didn't read the Bible enough to be able to back things up that I was saying. And if people question you, then you automatically retreat. You know, so yeah. but probably a big part of it was that. What What brought you to Christ? Like, what was um, the, sort of the, the the motivation for you to for you to entertain, let alone participate in a conversation about Jesus? Okay, so I was raised in a Christian household from. As young as I can remember, my mom uh, sang all the time in the choir. My dad played the drums. Um, she uh, sang at churches. We'd travel, and she'd sing at different First Church of God churches. I grew up in a First Church of God based out of Anderson, Indiana. Um, and uh, not it wasn't in Anderson, but it's that's the that's the backing, you know, theological First Church of God is Anderson, Indiana. 
uh, was in Middletown, Ohio, called Real Boulevard First Church of God. And I can remember the pastor, you know, I can remember hearing sermons at that age, not really understanding what it was, but it was a lot more fire, hell, and brimstone at that point, a lot more yelling, a lot more loud. It'd make me nervous. My mom would always talk to me after the service and comfort me. And you know what I mean? I'd, you know, just, just, she was always that spiritual backbone for me. Um, always prayed with me. We'd pray all the time together. When I got older in my early teenage years, I struggled a lot with, uh, with self-esteem. I struggled. I was always very small. I was very, very small in seventh, eighth grade, like five foot two, weighed about 98 pounds. I didn't actually like grow and hit puberty. I was probably a sophomore, junior in high school. Got bullied a lot. Uh, my mom was was always there, always supporting me, and just always everything was always about faithfulness. Everything with my mom was always about faithfulness and serving God, and and her family was very spiritual. And so that's kind of what what pushed me. And then when I got into high school, and I, and I you know started actually getting girls to notice me when I actually grew and I was taller than they were. <laughs> um, one of the main girlfriends I had in high school, um, she was a Christian. And it's funny how, how you're, how, you know, even though I wasn't at the time a saved Christian, God was still working in my life because of my mom praying for me all the time and putting people in my path that, you know, down the road, you know, they were in my path for a reason. So um, this girl I met, her family was very, very strong Christian family. And it was a nice model for me to see from another side, from another viewpoint, you know what I mean? And uh, they would all the time have me go, um, to like Wednesday night stuff, youth group stuff that I was never really doing before. And, um, just one Sunday, I'm just sitting in there and the sermon, the sermons by pastor Vernon Maddox, um, Dr. Vernon Maddox. And he was preaching about, um, the Christ being the shepherd and he has the flock, but there's one lost sheep and, um, Christ leaves the flock to go for that one lost sheep. And it just moved me like it, like, like I felt like that's me. I'm that one sheep that's not in the flock. You know what I mean? And it just it, it just broke me. I couldn't I couldn't run to the altar fast enough. Like he was done with that sermon for the altar call. I was up there within 15 seconds. Like I mean, I don't even it's like I don't even remember really just getting there. I was just there and just a broken mess, crying. You know what I mean? And thankful and up rush of emotions that until you've experienced, you can explain it to somebody, but until they feel it, it's, it's hard to put into words, just everything you feel just such an, uh, it's, it's a warm joy, sadness, happy, not sadness, happiness, just overwhelming feeling. And, um, that's kind of what started my journey was that moment there. And then, um, my brother, got baptized with me that later that fall him and I got baptized together. So That's awesome. E yeah. Even, even 30 ish years later, it still chokes mm -hmm. you up. Oh, absolutely. It does. Yeah. We, um, we recently joined a church. We moved out to Oxford. We built a house out here a few years ago and we've been going to another church is a little closer. Um, not to segue here, side note, but I was talking earlier about how God puts people in your life for, for a reason. And you don't understand why it is or what it is, but you have this conglomerate of people that are around you for all these years. And it's like just little pushes here, little pushes there. And um, the pastor at that church, I got to know 
prior to us moving out here because his daughter taught with my wife at Madison schools and they became good friends. So we started hanging out with her and her husband, who's a pastor at a church up North in new Madison. So when we moved out here, we're like, Oh, we'll try his church. So we go out to the church. We, we go on for about a year and then he asks us to join. And I've never been to a church where you've got to join the church. You know I mean? First church of God, it was just, you know, we were, you were a member of the church. If you, you attended and you tithed and all that, this is the first Southern Baptist church. And, um, they, they asked us to join and they went over the whole thing. And it was kind of a nice, I'd never done this before. So it's kind of a nice education on the history of the church, where your money goes for, for like service, um, for, for, um, for service in the community, for, you know, service across the country and for mission trips and mission things across the, across the world and got a hit in all that kind of stuff. So when I was giving my testimony there, um, for why I want, why, you know, I wanted to join the church and my history as a Christian, I couldn't make it through it. Like couldn't make it through it. It, it. I was such a wreck. I couldn't make it through it. I tried to, I had it all written down what I wanted to say. And I got about five minutes in and I fell apart and just couldn't finish. So, but um, yeah, it's just, it's, it still moves me. The whole experience still moves me. You're the consummate family man. In fact, yes. I was I was quite surprised at that. Yeah, I was quite surprised at that because you and you and Heather got married shortly after graduating college, and then you started a yeah. family almost right away. Yes. What was what was your and Heather's you know impetus for doing that so young? Um. So going back to the struggle with self esteem from childhood, um, I always felt like I needed to chase girls for happiness or to get that affirmation from girls to feel like I'm loved. Um, because I never had that growing up aside from, of course my mom, but I mean like I never got attention from the opposite sex ever when I was younger. And, um, so I was always chasing girls. That was a big problem in high school and college because when I was first in college, cause I, I had an issue with like, like I'd be talking to this girl and want to talk to this girl too. And this girl as well. And nothing more than just flirting and conversation and getting to know them. But that creates problems because, you know, you get a bad reputation as, oh, this guy's not dateable. You know what I mean? And um, and Heather was the first girl I ever dated that, like, the interest in other girls was gone. It was like God put her in my life because that's who I needed to be with. And I... <clears throat> I prayed hard for a long time because I struggled so bad with, with, with finding the right person or what I felt like was finding somebody I wanted to be with. And you and I had this conversation at Middletown Tennis Club, and I'll never forget this conversation. You might not even remember it. We had got done playing a match. Um, we were, dude, this was mid-season. We were just playing a match to stay in shape. You know what I mean? And um, I came off the court, and I sat down, and we're just talking, and I said, I'm really, really frustrated, Ed. Um, I said, I'm just, I'm frustrated because I just cannot find a girl. And, so, and you're like, well, you're dating, blah, blah, blah. I, I can't remember who it was at the time. I'm like, yeah, but it's just not, it's not there. I said, I just don't understand why I can't find somebody. I go, I guess, you know, and it's like one of those things where I guess, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm good with what this is, I guess. And you're, you're, what you said to me, and I'll never forget it is don't settle. If you do anything, don't settle for just okay. And I said, I've I never said had you. <laughs> yeah, you did. You said don't settle. And I and I I'm like pretty sage advice from a young man. 
I didn't know what I was talking about. <laughs> yeah, well, you did. You, I'm like, that's you know, no one, no, no, a, a, no, um, you know, friend had ever really talked to me about something like that and gave me like advice. And I respected your opinion. I mean, I always thought you were a smart guy and intelligent and well spoken and a wordsmith. I like to, you know, I like that you're you're just you're just always very well spoken and smart. And I'm like, oh, maybe I shouldn't settle. You know what I mean? And then month goes by, we kind of, me and that girl go our separate ways. We go on our spring break trip, come back from spring break trip, friend of a girl that we were actually behind driving in Panama city. Or I don't, you probably don't remember this either. This, this is just how it all kind of came to, came together. We were actually behind her at one point driving in Panama city. I'm like, Oh, there's that girl. And Jerry was like, Oh, let's stop and talk to him. I'm like, no, I don't want to talk to that girl. You know what I mean? Cause it was one of those, we just, ugh, I just, I just, I just was not in the mood for that at that point. And, um, but it turns out that Heather was in the car with that girl in front of us. Had we stopped, I may have met her sooner, but we got back two weeks later. I ended up bumping into her randomly in the commons, randomly, like never seen her before in my life at the college campus. We've been going there three years. She was sitting there by herself in the morning. I remember what she had on. I remember how she looked. I remember everything about that. I walked in there, sat down, walked by her. She never looks at me. Nathan Regensburg comes in, friend of ours from oh, college. Yeah. yeah. Comes over, starts talking to her. I'm like, oh, that's my end. I'm going to go over there and talk to him. And she's going to talk to me and we're going to start talking. Walked over there, talked to him. She never looks up one time. I'm like, oh, got to be kidding me. You know what and I mean? That's saying, and that's saying something, Greg, because Nathan, as you know, is one of the most charismatic human beings you yes. ever meet in your life and when he got ta talking he drew attention yes yeah, but she never looked up so anyway later that night i'm at the gym working at town athletic club and he comes in he goes hey you know that blonde girl that was sitting at the table he's like she was asking about you i'm like dude don't do that to me don't do that to me there's no way she was asking about me he's like yes yeah, she was she wants to here's her number she wants you to call her and so we met had one date I asked her out. She said no. Um, I, so I said, okay, I'm not asking again. So two weeks later, after being together every single day, she asked me out after I got off work. The rest is history. I, I, like I said, I never had anybody that I never thought about another girl after I dated her. And another emotional moment, how God worked in my life is her and I are in my house. Uh, this is probably September. We started, no, 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 no. This is May. We started May or June. We started dating in April. Um, 90, May or June. 90, she was 96? Not 97. Okay. Yeah, we met in 97. So in 97, we are just sitting in the house, and she. I'm talking to her about my faith and my Christianity, and we're just talking about it. And she's like, what does it mean to be saved? Because I was talking to her about that. And I was talking to her about it. She got a little welled up and teary-eyed. And she goes, can you pray with me? <clears throat> for me to be saved and awesome. her and I prayed together. And again, I so moving, like I, I it felt like wind rushing around my head. Mm. Like when we were praying together and um, that's, that's the key, the key right there to any, why you're the consummate family man and why the marriage works is that there God is number one in your relationship. And that's, that's why it works. That's why, and, and, and everything just kind of was a domino effect, you know? And, and now listen, now having the first kid, like getting pregnant four months into marriage, that's just being naive. 
<laughs> and not being, not being prepared. You know what I mean? But it was a blessing because it made me grow up. I prayed for patience and God gave me two daughters. So <laughs> fair enough. God gave me two daughters too. Yes. Your, your girls are a little bit older than mine because Madison yeah. is 23 and Paige is 20. Correct. And are they both in college? Yeah. Madison is in physical therapy school at Hanover University in Indiana. And Paige is in her second year of education at uh, Indiana, Indiana University, Richmond. Is that why you why you moved a little bit closer? For my listeners, Greg was mentioning you know Oxford and and New Madison. That's in that's in Ohio, really southwestern Ohio. Yeah. Oxford is where Miami University is, where he and I went to school, and it's virtually on the the western border of Ohio and eastern border of Indiana. So right. is that one of the reasons why you, know, you and Heather moved to Oxford to be a little bit closer to the girls? Uh, no, for more land. We, um, we've been living in neighborhoods and I found light land out here. Uh, I think it's like 2015. We bought 10 acres and uh, we ended up building on it. But in 2019, right before the country went crazy and, and building prices skyrocketed. So we were blessed with timing on that. Yeah, but, good. but none of this, none of what happened was by any stroke of luck or me falling in, you know, me finding things. It's all pray, prayer. It's all praying. It's praying. Do I buy this land? It's praying. Do we build this house? It's praying, you know, you know, what should my girls, you know, focus on and, co- you know, focus on a college guide them, Lord. It's all prayer. Yeah. And I think the, this podcast is aptly named in that regard because any successes mm-hmm. that we have, they're really, they're not our credit to take. Oh no, no. I just get in my own way. If I, if I try, if I try to make a decision without prayer, I just get in my own way. Yeah. You've had a long successful career in nursing. Can you walk us through your motivation for wanting to become a nurse and how being a nurse has allowed you to show up better for yourself as well as yeah. better for the people that are in, in your world? Okay. So, um, college couldn't figure out what I wanted to do. So, um, went through a few majors interned at channel 12, best internship I ever had. Cause I realized it was absolutely not what I wanted to do. And then, um, my mom's like, listen, you've got to figure out something, please graduate college. So I don't have to keep paying for school. You've been going five years with no degree. Yeah. So, uh, nursing, I got, I, so she pushed me into nursing cause my mom was pretty successful as a nurse. And she's like, listen, just try this. You can work three days a week, be off four. I'm like, okay, that sounds good. And that's really what it was when I first got into the hospital, it was work three days, be off four. Oh my gosh. I don't like this job. I don't want to do it. I don't like the hours. I don't like the midnights. I don't like the swing shift. I don't like the weekends. And, um, and so I tried to change jobs and do what my mom was doing in home care through Middletown hospital by my boss on the floor blocked what I was doing. So then I ended up in home care at another place. And then that's kind of where everything fell into place for me. And, um, I quickly realized that spending time with people in the home gave me a setting that I could work in with them. And maybe like not, not heal people like, but give them 30 minutes of my time when I'm there with them and do something to make a difference in how they feel, whether it's through laughter, whether it's through prayer, whether it's through sharing stories with each other, 
whether it's through, you know, you know, helping them with something as simple as changing a light bulb. You know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. and the longer I've done this, the more I've realized God put me here because it's helped me with being able to talk to people about God because there's nothing easier when you first start talking to people about God as a generation of people who cr- who truly grew up, you know what I mean? With a very strong Christian faith, you know what I mean? And now they're elderly and they just want somebody to be there with them anyway. <laughs> so they'll take anybody, you know what I mean? So they're very good listeners and they're glad to have me there and they're glad to listen to me and pray with me and talk to me. So it got me more comfortable with doing that. You know what I mean? And then, that translated into being willing, you know, to be willing to do it, do it at church. You know what I mean? To visit the shut-ins and visit people or the hospital and, you know, and, and, but that was always funny when I go to the hospital for the church. Cause I was like, I wasn't the A team, which was the pastor or the B team, which was the associate pastor or the C team, which was the youth pastor or music minister. I'd come in and they'd be like, Oh, what are you doing here? You mean the pastor's not coming? <laughs> 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 but it got me comfortable praying with people and talking to people. Cause I mean, that can be like, even though I was, you know, I'm very outgoing, you know what I mean? And I'm not shy about talking to people, but that was always scary for me. Like I said, when I was first became a Christian. So this, it really helped me learn to talk to people about my faith and Christianity and their faith and listen and just talk to them about it. And um, it's, it's definitely moved me because we've had I've had a lot of patients I've gotten close to. I've had a lot of families I've gotten close to. I've had a lot of um, I had recently in the last year, I had a guy um, whose wife had really, really bad dementia and her dementia got so bad. I had to send her to hospice and he got really, really choked up about about that. And him and I started talking about faith. His dad was a preacher, but he did not believe. And um, when I started to talk to him about it. Um, he goes, oh, you believe all that hogwash? And I'm like, I do. And um, so I had two more visits with him before we discharged because the hospice has to come in and eval and accept and all that kind of stuff. Because it wasn't like a critical hospice evaluation where they're dying in the next, you know, 10 days. It was just one of those where you're transitioning them from care for skilled care, which is what I do. And when they get to a point, you really can't have a, dis- a, a discernible goal for them then you move them to hospice care. And that's kind of where she was at. And so the next two visits, it went from him completely like, you don't believe that hogwash to, I appreciate you praying with me. Thank you for talking to me about that. It really meant a lot to me. You know what I mean? Give me a hug. You know, it's that kind of stuff that, that, that really, you know, has made it worth it. And, and what I've grown as a Christian in the, in the medical field. I hope I answered your question in that long winded, <laughs> long winded. You, you totally did. Route. What, what I, what I find, what I find really cool about that is you're technically working for a secular business. Yes. Having conversations about God to, or to c- customers or patients or with coworkers mm-hmm. is generally frowned upon right. in most secular businesses. And yet you, you choose to go the other way with it. Is right. that, are, are you proactive in those conversations or do you kind of read the room to determine whether or not um, it, it's safe to go down that road? 
it's a little bit of both. It's, it's, it's usually establishing a relationship first. Um, you know what I mean? You, the patient has to trust you above anything else. If you want to help the patient just strictly in a physical medical way, you know what I mean? They have to trust you. And if you don't earn that trust with them, you can talk all you want to, and you're not going to make a difference. So um, it always starts with the relationship. And if I can get a relationship going with them, you know what I mean? To where they trust me and I trust them. And it's a, you know, and it, it becomes a, a real nurse patient relationship where they give, you know, they feel comfortable telling me all their medical issues. Cause that's, listen, that's a big problem with this job is patients don't want to tell you things because they're always afraid they're going to have to take more medicine or go see the doctor or go to the hospital. So they're not always willing to tell you the truth on how they're feeling. You know what I mean? So you got to learn to sift through some of the nonsense when you first get into the house and, you know, and get them to trust you and talk to you about stuff. And then kind of after you get to know them, you know what I mean? You'll look for things in the house. Like if they have a, a picture of Christ hanging on the wall or a cross somewhere, um, you know, a Bible verse sitting somewhere, a Bible sitting on the table. And then you just kind of go from there. Gotcha. So switching gears just a little bit. A, yeah. a few years ago, your daughter had a health scare. Yes. How are, you, how are you, Heather, and the rest of the family able to navigate that? How much of the story do you want? Do you want a quick and short one, or do you want the long-winded diatribe one? <laughs> uh, meet somewhere in the middle. Okay, so um, frightening is the best way I could explain it. Very frightening. Um, when you fir- when you first have the real diagnosis, um, it was something that I was totally unprepared for because I thought it was just an eye issue because she's had a little she's had she's worn glasses before. Um, so we took her into the op- op- optometrist and he freaked out that does that checked her eyes. So then he sent her to the family doctor, family doctor looked at it, freaked out, sent her to the hospital, um, sent her to, to, uh, to a neurologist attached to the hospital, neurologist freaked out. So after three hot doctor's visits in the span of three days, we're at Miami Valley hospital with spinal tap, spinal tap pressure is 60 times higher than normal. The doctor said how she's not stroked is an act of God because Normally, normal pressure is 10. Her pressure was above 100. So that's way, I mean, it was shooting out like a water fountain. When they spinal tapped her, like normally it drips, it was spraying like a water hose out of there. So um, I knew as a nurse, worst case scenario. And you're trying not to share that with your wife and you're trying not to share that with your daughter or your, now my mom's a nurse too. So of course she's, thinking the same thing I'm thinking. So we finally, she goes in for the MRI. Um, this was one of the most moving moments of my entire life. Um, I think I put a fo- post about this on Facebook. Um, so my wife's with her, I'm working. Um, and she's going in for the MRI and I'm like, listen, just keep me updated on what they say. I'll check the scan once it's done. Um, so I'm sitting in my car, I'm sitting in, 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 in between patients' houses, just sitting there. And she just got off the phone with me. She said, dad, I love you. You're going in for the MRI. Um, I'm praying so hard, so, so hard. God, please, please let your will be done. Please, Lord, heal her, take away any any problems she has. She's so young. You know what I mean? I'm sorry that I doubted what was she was going through when it first started. I'm sorry I kind of, you know, didn't take it as seriously as I should have. You know what I mean? And and when we now listen, we'd all prayed about it holding hands and like the whole family. We a church prayed over her. Um but sitting in my car, 
she goes into the MRI and I'm just praying and I'm sitting there quietly, just praying, praying out loud, talking out loud. Um, I found I, I like praying that way better than just sitting in like in silence and talking to myself. I like praying out loud. And I stopped and I was just sitting there and it's, I can't even explain how I heard it, but I heard it. It wasn't audible and it wasn't like I said it inside my head, but it was just, she is healed. And it was just there. It was just there. It was, that's the only way I can explain it. It was just there. It was just spoken, but it wasn't audible. But it also wasn't like I said it in my head. And I broke down and sobbed. I cried in my car for 15 minutes. Couldn't get a hold of myself. And um, and and MRI results were stat red, posted, completely clean. Oh, Nothing no, no. on the MRI. No issues with circulation, which no, which which I thought she was going to have some sort of blockage in her lower occipital area or something like that. That's, that's stopping, you know, stopping circulation up there. That's why there's so much swelling. You know what I mean? No mass, no, no nothing. And, um, and her, so vision, goes, her vision came back to normal almost immediately, right? Yeah. Vision, vision came back to normal after the MRI. She still had the optic nerve swelling. Vision was, vision was fine. She couldn't see, like she said, this eye, the left eye, was pretty okay before, but the right eye was like she was seeing six pages of something at one time because her right eye was all, you know, running all over the place on her. And um, so when she got to see the, uh, the neuro optic neurologist the next day, he put her on a diuretic and um, said, come back and see me in a month and we'll see where you're at. She comes back in a month. The swelling is completely gone. And he goes, if, what if it, he goes, this isn't normal for this to happen. He goes, has, has anything changed, you know, that you've noticed? She's like, no. She's like, do you have any symptoms? She's like, no, no symptoms, no headaches, uh, very mild headaches. I mean, she's had headaches, but not like she was having when all this optic nerve swelling was going on. And, um, you know what I mean? So he cut her diuretic down. She goes back two months later, no swelling, completely gone. And he told her he is in all his years. He's never had anybody have no swelling with as much swelling as she had just three months prior. She's off the diuretic, no swelling, no issues, no nothing, completely gone. I remember reading your post and found myself breaking down crying as well, especially like you being the dad of daughters. And that's not to discount being the, the, the father of sons, but Right. It's it, it, it's different. At least it, it, that's what I've been told by everyone. It, it's different. Yeah. And it, I, it, I suppose it doesn't matter, but that's your that's your baby. Yes. You know, having something that is potentially life threatening. Right. You know, minimally debilitating and absolutely speaks to the power of prayer. Oh, absolutely. No, I, I, I don't do anything without praying. So thinking about being a dad of girls, I mean, mm -hmm. in our culture, right. there appears to be a significant need to build character in men, particularly young men. Right. And knowing that one of the key messages of the, this podcast is to help men answer the call of, of God's you know, potential for them. Mm -hmm. If you were the father of boys, where where would you start? How would you go about navigating today's culture? 
Um, I would get them heavily involved in youth group and service. Um, that was probably the biggest thing I noticed uh, for the strong guys that Okay, I'll give you an example. For example, my daughter's, my oldest daughter's boyfriend, he's a very strong Christian man. He's 22 years old. One of the most kind Christian young men I've ever met. Um, he always did, he was always involved with things where he did service. And I think a lot of the problem with today's young people is they are too worried about themselves and too worried about me and how do I make me happy and how do I make myself this and how do I make myself that and 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 what can I do to get more likes and more people to like me and to approve me and to validate me and the issue in all that is we are not called to make ourselves happy we are called to serve others when you serve others that's when you find happiness that's when you find fulfillment and that's when you find purpose that's where I would start I would start them in youth group and start them serving other people and learning the value of serving other people and learn the value of, of your faith and learning value of, of walking that faith and staying strong in that faith. Um, and you, you have to put them around other people that'll be role models for them. You know what I mean? You have to put them around other strong Christian people. They'll be role models for them. And they had, that's, that's part of being in youth group. That's part of being around like-minded people to give you that support and that base you need to grow from. You know what I mean? Yeah. I shared this before we hit record today, and I, I believe I referenced it in the first episode with regard to the number of young men that came up to me after class yeah. last fall inquiring, what does it mean to be a man? Right. If I were to put that question to you in 2023, what is it what does it mean to be a man? What would you say? I know I put uh, you on the spot, brother. No, no, I'm, you know, I'm trying to think of how, how I mean, I'm trying to think of the words like without just rambling spewing a bunch of words, like the best few words I can think of, being principled in what you believe in, stand for what you believe in. Um don't give in to outside noise uh, because you feel that pressure. You know what I mean? Like I think I think being a man in today's world, you need to follow Christ. You need to you need to follow in Christ's footsteps like he would live here. Like it's it's kindness, it's love, it's it's um, you know, understanding, it's giving. But it's also, you know, letting people know where they're in the wrong. You know what I mean? And then not falling to falling, in, falling into the trap that you have to be agreeable with things that are wrong. You know what I mean? And things that are go against your faith and what you believe in. If that hopefully that answers what you asked. It, it does. It actually sparked a new question, which is mm -hmm. as Christians, how can we be tolerant while simultaneously being disagreeable to some of those fundamental tenets. I think, I think a lot of that becomes by the way you carry yourself with people. I don't think that you ever 
come into a situation where somebody disagrees with you ever with anger, ever with frustration or ever with um, blatantly attacking them. You can disagree with them and you can disagree with whatever point you're discussing. You know what I mean? But you do it in a way that shows you still love them and care for them as a person. And you give them, um, man, how can I explain this? Because somebody that's not a Christian, you start throwing scripture at them. They're just going to turn away. Um, you model for them. They, they have to see that, that, that you have, they have to see that what you're talking about is not a, is not an avenue that, that is evil or dismissive or, or like totally against you. Cause God loves you. God loves you. He loves you. And he wants you to be part of his flock and he wants you to be with him. You know what I mean? But you have to talking to that person. They have to understand that to, to, to understand why I feel this way, you have to be closer to God and have a relationship with God and God will let you know. He'll give you discernment on decision-making and he'll put feelings on your heart and inside you of maybe the lifestyle you're living is not the right lifestyle. The, uh, I'll give you a scenario because the scenario is a better way I can explain what I'm trying to say. So my cousin, um, my uh, he's cousin through adoption. He's homosexual. Um, he's a saved Christian. That's a homosexual. He doesn't live the lifestyle. Does he have the urge? Yes. Does he act on the urge? No. Does he live that lifestyle? No. He lives for God. He serves God. He serves in his church. Um, did he in the past live that lifestyle? Yes. Um, when he was saved, he said it was gone. He said that the, the desire for that was gone. Does that change who he is? And does he want women? No, he doesn't have relationships like intimate relationships like that, but that is gone. That's that, that, the scenario is a better way to explain what I'm trying to say. When you're saved, it changes your mindset. It changes what you feel is important. Just like I was saying, like people want to live for me, 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 me. When you live for Christ, it changes that, those feelings. It's just like for me as a heterosexual man, when I live for Christ and I truly am serving and seeking Christ, all those feelings of women, 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 women are gone. You repent of that. You turn away from that. You know, you seek him, you seek his face, you seek his favor. So you repent from all those all those evil desires and things of your heart and of this world. Because this is all worldly stuff we're talking about. It's all worldly things. It's not anything God God has ordained for us. It's all worldly sinful things. So that's a really good example of how God showed up in your life. Whenever mm -hmm. you committed, to, you committed to Christ, and you committed to Heather, all of the other peripheral stuff related to uh, you know attracted, you know being attracted to anyone else just vanished. Right. In in what other ways has God shown up in your life? I know that's a really broad question. I but... can give you. I can give you a lot of examples. Um, I'll start from the very beginning when I was born, I was born seven or eight weeks, seven weeks premature. 
This is back in 1977, like you said on your your first episode. The technology is not what it was, not then what it is now. So um, I had an 80% or 70% chance of being blind. Um, my, they actually did not think I would have any, uh, you know, any functional brain activity because my oxygen saturation was so low for so long. Uh, my mom and her mom and my grandmother and my dad all prayed and I turned out to be this crazy kid that's, you know, 46 years old now. Um, my mom's mother was a very strong Christian lady. This is where my mom's conviction came from. Um, as a Christian, it's just, it's been, it's in the Mullins household, it's faith in Christianity, faith in Christianity. She passed away my senior year of high school in 1995. Um, my mom would always tell me she felt my mom's presence around her, um, at our house. And I always just, ah, poo-pooed it. This is before I was saved. I just poo-pooed it. I'm like, nah, come on, mom. That's nonsense. So I'm working at pizza hut. Uh, I'd got off about midnight. This is Friday night. Last one in the house. Everybody else is in bed. I'm the last one in the house. I closed closed up as the server. Got home, checked the answering machine because you know don't want to miss any phone calls from anybody. Might be some girl wanting to call me. So checked the answering machine. Nothing. Get up in the morning. Had to go play a tennis match, uh, tennis tournament. I was up at eight thirty, and um, me- message machines blinking. For those that uh, don't know, a, an answering machine. <laughs> was a box that used to be hooked to your tel- hooked to your telephone <laughs> and calls would come in and people would leave messages on a tape. <laughs> so you referenced earlier that you, that Heather wanted you to call her. And I immediately thought that's what, that's how we used to do it. That's how we, yes, that's how we used to we do didn't, it. We didn't direct message anybody. We didn't. No, no, it was, anyone. it was, listen, it was hardcore. You'd call somebody and it'd be either rejection or like, let's go, you know, <laughs> exactly right. Yeah. So, um, so the machine's blinking. Okay. And I'm like, what in the world? How did I miss that? So I hit, hit play. And when I hit play, it's, it's, it's microphone static. Okay. And then it's my, I've got goosebumps. <laughs> my mammal's voice time to go home where I beetle stopped. Stopped playing. The message stopped. I, I just, I just got goosebumps. Yes, Bess, I know. Message stopped. I freaked out. Completely freaked out. Right upstairs, mom, mom, mom. Is this your mother? Is this your mother? Is this your? You know, I mean, totally freaking out. You know what I mean? She listened to it and she kind of stood there in shock. Had my dad listen to it, stood there in shock. Took the tape out of the machine, took it to my uncle's house, had him listen to it. Freakiest thing I'd ever heard. So that was another, like that kind of probably what pushed me a little bit at that point to like maybe seek more, more church, more youth group, <laughs> you know what I mean? Cause it freaked me out so bad. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And um, relationships. Okay. It is astonishing to me, Ed, how many people I, that are in my life that started between the age of, you know, maybe 10 to 25 that are in some capacity now serving the Lord. Okay. So you been doing this, David Jose leads ministry every Wednesday night for his small group. A friend of mine named Chris Morris. I grew up with in high school, one of my best friends. He's a pastor at two Methodist churches in Pittsburgh in Pennsylvania. 
Um, another friend of mine is that pastor up north in uh, New in New Madison, and then um, Barry Schaefer, good friend of mine, leads a uh, big church organization down here in Cincinnati. It is crazy how all that happens. You know what I mean? And these people are just, it's just random friends of mine, mm -hmm. but it's like tentacles. You know what I mean? It's like tentacles out there that you just, you all are, are trying to, to harvest, harvest the, you know, harvest for the Lord. Yeah. It having an on again, off again relationship for most of my adult life. I never, I, I would have never thought it would have come to this. Heck, even in the last you know, 12 to 15 years where my, my focus has been centered in Jesus, I would have never thought it, it would have come to, you know, something like this. I don't know mm -hmm. if any of those other, uh, those other guys you know, would have either. Right. I would not change it for one second. No. Not no. at all. I remember so, when you... Sorry, I'll right. interrupt you. I was gonna say I was so happy when I saw your post, your one of your first posts on Facebook about your faith in Christianity. I remember contacting you about that the mm -hmm. day I saw it. I was so ecstatic for you, and I, it just it just warmed my heart to to read that and to hear that. I apologized for it for a really long time, Greg. Did you I really? Did. I did. I absolutely apologized. I was I was a believer. Uh -huh. I had I had my my own conversations with God, not nearly yeah. as frequently as they are today. Right. And I was, I wasn't an active prayer and I mm -hmm. certainly wasn't going to pu publicize my faith. Right. So what, what you saw was me finally getting the courage to say it out loud in a public forum. Yeah. It was awesome, man. It warmed my heart to hear it and to read yeah. it. it really did. I was so happy for you. Really I was. I appreciate it. And you know, Carolyn is, uh, she's a practicing Christian. Uh, mm -hmm. Jocelyn has always uh, been a person of faith. And last right. month, our youngest went to a young life camp mm -hmm. and came back saved. Awesome, man. I tell you what it is. Listen, man, there is nothing better than when the young ones get saved because as you know, going through teenagers from 13 to 17 is a hill <laughs> That you that you have to choose whether you're going to die on it or not at times, and it is really hard. Like I call it the hill of crazy. Girls start the hill of crazy about 13, and they hit the summit about 16 or eh, maybe 15 and a half, 16, and then they slowly start to descend. So about 18, they'll start slowly coming back around, and then they graduate high school, and it's all of a sudden like, where have you been? Who are you? Are you my daughter? I don't remember you. And it's like, you know, it's like all back to like how they were before middle school started. So yeah, that's all. Awesome. Thank you. One of the things that's not written down in the book, in the book that's never been published yeah. is that right around between ages eight and 10, yeah, where they were normally sitting next to you on the sofa watching their show, of course, right. We ended up disappearing. And it, right. it dawns on you that they're they're choosing to spend time in their rooms, you know, communicating with their social circle, and there's exactly nothing wrong with that. Right. I remember with Carolyn, I told her, I'm like, I feel like I'm grieving a little bit. Right. It's completely unexpected. Yes, it is. It's hard. It's it's hard because every bit of that relationship that you had is changed. 
you know, it's, it's changed. The whole dynamics changed. Well, I'm, I'm, I feel better that knowing yeah. that you, you've, you've affirmed what I've heard before that right around high school graduation, they, they come back. I'm telling, I'm telling you, Ed, it is, it is like a light switch because they realize the epiphany they have is once high school's over and they're out of that fishbowl, they realize that, man, there's a big world. And every little thing I used to worry about is non-existent now. There's no more going back and worrying about what, you know, if so-and-so said in this classroom or sitting next to this person or talking to that guy or, you know what I mean? It's gone. It's just gone. It's not there anymore. You come to one terms the, with, with being in the real world. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, one of the things that I say is that whenever you become a parent, you have to reconcile that you're going to mess your kid up. Mm -hmm. And you're not going to, you're not going to do it intentionally. I mean, unless you're a completely dysfunctional person, you're not going <laughs> to intend to screw right. your child up, but yet right. it happens because you're, yeah. you're applying your worldview on to them. Yeah. And the only thing you can really hope for is that when they're in their late teens or early twenties, they're functional enough to forgive you for right. all of that with right. the realization of, especially if they grow up as believers mm -hmm. that, whenever they are either 18 years old or no longer financially tethered to us, mm -hmm. we can't metaphorically spank them anymore. And right. we hand, we hand them over to God. And right. I don't know about you, Greg, but I've lived a life where I've never gotten away with anything, whether it was with my mom or mm -hmm. it was with God. Right. It, you know, it, it, it always came back around. It does. Yeah. I mean, it does. I, it's one of those things you reap what you sow, you know, and, um, you know, the, um, the challenges they get older is allowing them to make prayerful decisions and make decisions without always giving them input because if they don't learn how to be decision makers at this age, they'll never learn how to do it. And they'll be, you know, making terrible decisions, <laughs> you know what I mean? Forever. And that, you know what I mean? So, you know, just, just try to give them enough leash. You know what I mean? Let them, you know, pick your battles. That's, that's the, that's, uh, that's, that's the biggest thing I always do is pick, pick which hill you want to die on and then let the other hills just go because there's certain battles you got to choose to fight. And there's certain battles. You've just got to let them figure it out. You know what I mean? Cause good decisions sometimes come through making mistakes. So. Definitely worth it completely does. And yeah. there's a lot of, there's a lot of wisdom in that. And speaking yeah. of wisdom, I wanted to, I want to thank you for your wisdom and, and insights throughout this conversation. It, it's been a privilege to get to see your, your face. For those of you who would be listening on Apple podcast or Spotify, oh, yeah. the, uh, the it's not my credit to take podcast is available on YouTube as well. So if you want to put faces to voices to some I mean, really handsome men, be sure to check yeah. out that channel. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. If Often if imitated, I, never duplicated, that's just, something like that. <laughs> if I if I may, can I can I put you on the spot that before sure. we before we wrap, would you mind saying a prayer? Absolutely. I appreciate that. Our dear Heavenly Father, we uh, come to you today and thank you for this fellowship time together. We uh, pray that this has been for your will, Lord, and that anybody listening, that you know they turn to you and feel that movement on you, Father, and seek you and pray that um, 
that they work towards you and that their your will is done in their lives, Father. We thank you for our salvation through Jesus Christ. We thank you for our forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ. And we pray each and every day of our lives we live for you, Lord, and that everything we do is in the glory of your name. In your name we pray, pray Jesus. Amen. Amen. Greg, any parting parting shots before we wrap the episode? Yeah, every time you won a tennis match, you were cheating. <laughs> I, I i i never knew you were on to it i just i didn't and what i what i respectfully request is that if there's anything that you need to communicate to me let's not yes. let 25 years go by before that happens yes oh listen man anytime you're in oxford you're always welcome to come by we'll have you i won't throw you out too quickly well, I, I can I can guarantee we're not going to play tennis. I've <laughs> played ten times in twenty five years. That's it. Have you? I still try to play a couple times a week if I can, if my body will let me. Knee surgery took it down a few notches. So, but listen, uh, it's always great. It's good seeing you, man. It really is. It's great seeing you too. Thank you once again for uh, being so gracious with your time, and yeah. uh, we'll 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 be sure to keep in better touch. Absolutely, brother. Thanks for having me on, man. All right, brother. See ya. All right. See ya, Dr. Slover. You can contact the show at it's not my credit to take.com. We'd love to hear from you. God bless. <laughs> <laughs>